Hello and welcome. I'm Sean. And I'm Kat. And this is another episode of Been There, Seen That. Welcome back to our 28th episode. Today we're talking about a new release and today's episode is Cruella. I have mixed feelings on Cruella and I don't really know how people are going to take that because (laughs) apparently it's very well loved. Am I in the unpopular opinion with that? I actually don't think so. I don't know. I've seen I've heard like mixed things. Not a lot of people I know have like seen it. But okay, so when I saw it the first time, I wasn't going to see Cruella. I was going to see something else. And every time I think about this story, I can't remember what I was going to see. Whatever, not important. (laughs) But I was late to the movie and I was like, well, you know, I'm here anyway, so I might as well see something. So I ended up seeing Cruella and I didn't want to see it. It didn't really appeal to me. So going into that, it with that perspective, I actually really enjoyed it. I didn't intend to watch it and I probably wouldn't have if it wasn't on Disney+. Plus. I didn't pay for it when it was on Disney+. Plus. I waited the month or like the I think it was three months at that time, like block where they didn't have it. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of glad I did because all of the people that saw it, they were like raving about it on like my Facebook, Instagram, all the friends I would like talk to. They were like saying, you have to see this movie. And I'm glad I waited because it was very just subpar to me. It was very middle line. Interesting. I'm wondering if that's like what our expectations were going into it because I had absolutely no expectations. I was just already at the movie theater and wanted to, you know, I was seeing whatever movie I went to see at a later time. And so, I don't know, I think going into it like that, it really did kind of surprise me because it wasn't something I was super excited for at all, really. I didn't have any intention of watching it. Did you see Maleficent when they did that? Yes, I remember watching that like quite a while ago, but it has been a while since I've seen it. Did you see the sequel? Absolutely not. Okay, so you didn't like Maleficent then? I thought it was okay. I really like villain origin stories, but I never think that they're sequel worthy, really. It's, I like an origin story. I like seeing where kind of things came from, like, (laughs) weird comparison, but almost like the most recent Joker movie that came out. I don't think that needs a sequel because it's an origin story. The story's already been told. So you're not going to see the second Cruella then? There's a second Cruella? Yeah, they announced that uh, Emma Stone is signed on for a second one. Huh. I don't know. Good question. Because here's the thing. I really loved Emma Stone in it. And Emma Stone's one of those actresses where if you ask me my favorite actresses, I would never really bring her up. Not because I don't like her, but she's just not one that comes to mind immediately. But everything I see her in, I'm like, wow, she really nailed that. Like, she did a really great job. I feel like Cruella for her was very different from the roles that I usually see her in. I've seen her play comedy like a lot. She plays comedy really well. But then I've also seen her play drama really well. But Cruella was kind of more of like an off the hinges character, which I feel like I hadn't been given that opportunity with her before. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, going into this, I'm going to give you a spoiler warning. Now we are going to be going into the most recent Cruella movie in great detail. So if you have not seen that yet and don't want that spoiled for you, we recommend you pause here. Give that a watch before giving us a listen. So let's talk about the plot a little bit. We open up and it's a young Estella at the time. She was born with poliosis, which means that half of her hair is white and half of it's black. There's like a pigmentation thing. Oh, that's a thing? Yeah, that's an actual condition. I I had no idea. That's neat. 
Yeah, she's born with this condition and she's very different from a young age. You can tell that she doesn't really fit in. She's kind of over the top and very dramatic, for lack of a better term. So her mother sends her away to a school and we kind of just see that she doesn't really fit in here. She wants all these crazy things and has these different outlooks on life than all the other kids at this school. And it ends up getting her expelled. One of the things I really like about this, I want to call it, it operates in kind of the same way montage does where it branches over in extended period of time in a short amount filming. I think the reason that this works so well and really keeps you engaged is because there's a lot of camera movement. Like the camera's almost never still. In general, Cruella is just very visually pleasing to watch. One of the things that I first noticed in the opening scene, because it opens with, of course, the Disney logo, but it's in black and white. But then you have the actual like Disney word in color. And I think that color comes into play a lot here because a big aspect of Cruella is fashion design and all the costumes are like crazy this won an academy award for costume design and as it was well deserved i mean this film visually like you said is stunning and it's really nice to watch and going into the camera movement as well with that montage sequence it keeps you engaged throughout the entire thing which is really important when you're working with something that i don't know didn't really build a lot of hype around i guess and i think that the colors come into play later especially when you get into Mm -hmm. like the more fashion design aspects of the plot because we haven't really gotten into that yet but once she goes and works for like the baroness and stuff and she makes the remark we'll talk about it where she cuts the girl and she says can you give me a red that looks like this gesturing to estella's blood But if you notice in the Baroness's design room, all of that is a green coloring to the set and green is like the opposite of red on the color spectrum. So it automatically gives you that opposition of color between the Baroness and Cruella, which is really cool too. I didn't even notice that because the dress that Cruella originally designs is green. Right. And the Baroness doesn't like in her costuming pick green so much, but it's a lot of her company that's green. So it's kind of like the company is the enemy, which the Baroness also owns. I don't know. (laughs) Color theory. So let's move on in the plot a little bit. Estella gets expelled from school and her mom picks her up and they have this conversation where her mom has kind of come to realize and accept that she's just like a different person and she accepts her for like her creativity and her 100% unapologetic self. So they're having this drive and she says, we're going to get away, but we need to make one stop first. Mm -hmm. So she pulls up to this very lavish party, but they're dressed down because obviously they just came from school. But It's this big manor and she pulls up and tells Estella to wait in the car. And Estella has a dog that she was keeping company at at the school. And naturally, she's going to get into trouble because she's just (laughs) one of those types of kids. She like immediately gets out of the car. (laughs) I mean, what causes her to get out of the car is that the dog gets out and then runs. And she's like, oh, my God, buddy. And oh, no, she sees she sees like a dress and she's like oh my god that fabric with that fabric that's so amazing and so she opens the door to look at the dress better and that's when buddy jumps out oh okay the baroness is the host of this party and she has these three dalmatians who are like her guard dogs if you will so when buddy gets out of the car the dalmatians immediately chase buddy and this kind of leads to like this chase around the party right and in between this we're kind of cutting back and forth between estella's mom i think what's her her name's catherine isn't it yeah, it is Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> 
So we're cutting between Catherine talking to the Baroness, which who at this point is a mysterious woman. They kind of keep that under wraps until later. But, you know, you can kind of piece together what's going on here. But we're cutting back and forth between the Baroness and Catherine talking. And then Cruella and Buddy being chased throughout the party by the Dalmatians. And it's like chaos inside of the party. And it eventually takes them out to the terrace. Because Catherine and the Baroness were having this conversation out on the terrace away from the party. But the dog chase leads to them because Estelle's trying to get out. And we have this moment where this man at the time that we thought was just trying to get Estella out of the party. Kind of makes this weird face at her because they lock eyes. Mm -hmm. And... That's going to be explained later. It's John. And when we get this this collision of these two scenes going on, we get kind of... I've mentioned this before in like almost every episode where we're covering a film where they do one of these shots, but it's that cool flip shot where the camera turns upside down as the dogs are jumping over Cruella. And then it flips and you watch them go upside down. It's it's really neat. Like I, I love that way to kind of bring those two scenes together. What did you think about the CGI on the dogs? Because they didn't use real Ugh. dogs for this movie. I hated it so much. Like, it looked so fake, and it would just really brought me out of it because I feel like, I mean, obviously there are things that the dogs are doing in the movie that, like, you kind of can't train dogs to do or maybe shouldn't train dogs to do. And I know it's, like, probably cheaper to do it on the computer because there's a lot of rules and regulations going around having animals on set and having actors interact with animals on set. That's a whole other thing to layer onto it. But they just looked so fake. And like, I, I felt like I was watching an animation movie inside of a live action movie. I mean, do you think they made the right call in using CGI dogs? No. <laughs> I think the cool tricks that the dogs did could have been replaced with something else that was cool. I disagree. I mean, with the action work that the dogs had to do with this movie, I don't really think using real dogs was an option, especially because it was very choreographed and stylized yeah. so i feel like using cgi dogs was kind of like one of the only options for this particular movie yeah i feel like they definitely could have made some different decisions to kind of change that track and make it a little different of a story for the dogs maybe i don't know it, it just like the visualization of the dogs really kind of brought me out of the reality of the film like the suspension of disbelief just kind of went in and out. And so with that flip shot, though, going back to that, we follow the Dalmatians as they push Catherine over the cliff and she dies. Dun, dun, right, dun. because they were chasing Estella, but then Estella trips and in like the moment where the Dalmatians lunge, you think they're going for Estella, but they like jump over her. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, that little actress is so phenomenal. Like her crying scenes broke my heart. I feel like you just have a soft spot for crying children. I really do. I don't know. That must be a hormonal thing. <laughs> so Estella flees the party, and at this point, she's left an orphan, essentially. But she runs mm -hmm. into Jasper and Horace, which, if you're familiar with 101 Dalmatians, you already know they go on to be her two goons. Oh, okay. So it's been, like, a really, really long time since I've seen 101 Dalmatians. Probably... It was maybe six, like the last time I saw it. So a lot of those um connections didn't click for me. <laughs> oh, gotcha. You really don't remember Horace and Jasper? Not at all. I don't remember anything about this movie. Oh, well, fair enough. I, Not I feel like maybe that's why you liked it more then because you didn't know like any of the characters and who they were supposed to be. See, that's the problem that I heard from a lot of people is that it didn't really make sense in the scope of 101 Dalmatians. But I think with this film, kind of taking a sidetrack here a little bit, but I think with this film, they kind of took a lot of liberties 
in creating a different story that's more loosely based on 101 Dalmatians as opposed to a prequel to 101 Dalmatians. That's fair. I read something that they were like, oh, all of the different interpretations of 101 Dalmatians aren't supposed to like exist and like be canon to each other. They're all just like different tellings of it, which makes sense because I mean, you have the Disney 101 Dalmatians and then you had the Glenn Close live action 101 Dalmatians. And the sequel to that, 102 Dalmatians. But then you also had Cruella. So I guess, yeah, it makes sense that they would all be, I guess. Independent of each other. Yeah, I I was going to say multiverse because I feel like that's where (laughs) a lot of people are bringing stuff nowadays. And knowing Disney, I feel like they could totally like do some work with that and try and make some like Disney multiverse movie, which would probably be a huge blockbuster success, but no one would actually like the concept of it. Yeah, I agree. But when we meet Horace and Jasper, they're like fishing for coins in the fountain with their little one-eyed dog. What's his name? Wink. <laughs> Wink, that's so cute. <laughs> and Wink is really cute. He's, I think, my favorite dog that they have. Oh, one one important thing was that that locket got left behind that her mother gave her. Her mother gave her a locket to like keep safe. And we see like a shot of it being left <laughs> behind as Estella like flees Hellman Hall. Right, because as she's running away, it flies off of her neck, but she just keeps mm-hmm. running because she's being chased still. Right. And then another thing with Horace and Jasper is they comment on her hair. And at first, they're kind of like, why do you look like that? Like, why does your hair look like that? And then as time goes on, she decides that she's going to dye it red. And one of them is like, I don't know, I kind of like the way that it looks now. But she says that it's time for change. And this is one of my favorite transition shots that we do here in this mm-hmm. like moment. Because it shows a young Estella dyeing her hair red. And it's a mirror transition, which, I mean, we've seen it before. It's nothing original. I just love them. Where she goes to wash the dye out of her hair. And when she ducks her head under the faucet and comes up, it's now Emma Stone. I know. I love that. And when those, like you said, it's nothing original or anything. But when those mirror transitions are done well, they're so effective and they look so good. Definitely. So we're now 10 years later and it's 1974 and Estella, Jasper and Horace have kind of taken on this like petty thief business where Estella will design costumes and these elaborate backstories for them to like play characters and their like massive schemes. Mm-hmm. And Jasper and Horace, of course, play different roles where one of them will be like the getaway driver or they'll play a different character, but they've made a living doing this and they're essentially like a three musketeers almost. And through this, we're getting a lot of House of Baroness signs kind of everywhere. And there's shots of Estella looking at the House of Baroness, kind of like imagining and, you know, designing. Like, that's her life. That's what she wants to do. And we get this really cool shot. So for her birthday, Jasper gives her an employment letter that he <laughs> kind of snuck down and and schemed his way into getting for her. For, what is it? It's a Liberty? job at a Liberty Fashion Store. Liberty Fashion Store. Uh, It's like a department store, but it's like the department store of London, which is real. And I found that out today (laughs) because somebody suggested that I go there. And so we get this really cool moving shot of uh, the Liberty Fashion Store, the department store, whatever it's called, Liberty, where we know Estella works there. We don't know what she does. And it's like zooming in through everybody's jobs. And you finally get it stop and like zoom in on Estella scrubbing the floor of the bathroom. Right. Because they didn't know what job they had like set her up for. They just put a yeah. fake application in to get her instated. So she ends up having to be a janitor. But you get this montage where she's cleaning the entire store. And she sees the owner of the store, like 
the boss man essentially of the designers and she's just like if i could just borrow you for a moment i'm I'm really good with a needle and i should go to alterations Mm -hmm. but he doesn't want to hear any of it and he's kind of just brushing her to the side and this leads to her is eventually just wanting to quit the job and being miserable which leads to her drunken night at the store. <laughs> I love this scene because she gets in trouble, so she has to stay late. So she steals that guy's super nice alcohol. And this that's one of the moments where I'm like, this, though it is a Disney movie, it's not necessarily like a younger kid's movie because there's moments like this where Estella gets super drunk and she ends up creating this display in the window, which is what she's kind of been asking to do this whole time. And it's this beautiful redesign of one of the, the dresses that were, it, <laughs> I can speak, that was in the display window. Right. It is like this very, almost like pop art. It's very in your face. There's words mm-hmm. spray painted and written all over, but she fixes a mannequin, which she commented earlier, and she was just like, oh, that's that's hideous. It was like right as I she was walking in. I feel sad you think that looks good. <laughs> that's what yeah. she said. She has this really like snarky line about how awful the outfit is. And so she ends up fixing it and kind of making her own design of it but also making like a display case of it. She has words written and Mm -hmm. it's making a statement essentially because Cruella is all about making statements. Exactly. So now we're introduced to what I like to think of as the Anna Wintour of this universe, the Baroness. and she The Miranda Priestley. Yeah, (laughs) they're all in the same vein, you know? That's what I keep thinking in this movie is the first time I saw it, I was like, this is like Devil Meets Prada, but Disney. Devil Wears Prada. Devil Wears Prada meets Disney. That's what I meant to say. (laughs) Yeah, well, I was actually reading that one of the screenwriters for the Devil Wears Prada was on board writing an early draft of Cruella. And although it wasn't the final draft, she is credited with screenwriter credits on this film. Oh, that's actually really sick. So as the Baroness is walking in, we get this amazing shot of the window display, but it's through the Baroness's glasses. So it's like conveying like she's seeing that, but we're seeing it through her eyes and she thinks it's genius. Oh my God, it's such an amazing shot. And she's blown away by the display. She goes up to the manager and she is kind of making this scene as if she's going to be upset about it. And she's like asking who did it and what happened. And they're like, oh, trust us. It's been taken care of. She'll be fired immediately. And then she smacks them with her cane and pulls out a business card and gives it to Estella because she's blown away. And it's essentially a job offer. So this is where we see the Baroness's workshop for the first time, which we talked about a little earlier. And that's the space that's like almost entirely green. Right. And it opens up with Estella walking through and you kind of get that first person camera perspective where it's supposed to be from her perspective of taking it all in and kind of looking around and seeing how everything operates. I love when they do shots like that. And I think you're able to really experience that at the same time as the character. Because I know one of the like really famous shots that's like that is the one where <laughs> they're all walking into um, the Great Hall in Hogwarts at the first time. You know, it's the same kind of shot where you're like following their first person perspective. Right. And you're taking it all in as an audience member as well. Exactly. I think those are so cool. And it really puts you in the seat of the character kind of experiencing that. And we're also introduced to a pretty important character, Artie. And Artie is a manager of like a vintage clothing store around town. Mm-hmm. And Cruella yeah. kind of introduces herself. And you're not really sure where he 
comes into play, but later on in the plot, he is very important. I love Artie. He's like one of the coolest characters. <laughs> so the first dress that we see Estella design is that green dress that you mentioned earlier. And she says, I love this, but well, she doesn't say that explicitly, but she she loves it. But she wants it in the color that Estella is bleeding. She wants it in that blood red color where she like nicked her. But then we see her like kind of take on Estella as an apprentice, I would say. She has her kind of follow her around everywhere and she's sketching for her pretty much for the next few scenes. It's almost like she's her advisor because anytime she hits a roadblock in a design, she turns to Estella. Yeah, and she keeps asking her opinion, which is really important. She's like, you know, what would you do? And that becomes super important later on because as always goes in these design houses, you know, you hire designers, but the design house name takes credit for what these designers are doing. And I mean, we see that happen later on when they show their collection and Estella creates the final like big piece for the collection and fashion show. Exactly. And that's kind of like the catalyst for everything that really happens. So as Estella kind of joins her as her advisor, they get closer. But one day she notices this necklace that the Baroness is wearing. And it's the necklace that she left behind when she was fleeing from the party earlier. And that's when you kind of have this realization that the Baroness is the woman from the party. And mm -hmm. the Baroness also makes a comment that, oh, well, this necklace was stolen from me by some maid of mine. And Estella, of course, gets very offended by this. And this sets her out on a path of revenge where she decides that she wants to take the necklace back. Well, one of the important lines that she also says, like after, well, Right before she says an employee stole it from her, she calls it a family heirloom, which, you know, if you've seen the movie, you know where we're going with that. But that's the first kind of inkling we get that there's a deeper story to what's going on here. I didn't even pick up on that. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she's like, where did you get that necklace? And she just says, oh, it's a fam family heirloom. An employee of mine stole it from me years ago. So symbolically, Estella decides that she's no longer going to be Estella, but she is rather going to become this Cruella. Cruella and she takes off her red hair and goes back to her natural half white half black and just takes on this entire persona right and that's what her mom used to call her she's like don't be Cruella be Estella one of the lines that you know right before she transforms into this Cruella persona she decides that she's gonna go steal this necklace back at the black and white ball that the Baroness is throwing which is super fitting the theme of everything uh, black and white which is Cruella's theme and then also kind of the Baroness's but she says, so if Stella can't go to the ball, I know someone who can. And I just, I love that. That's so cool. Because it's like she does have two different personalities within her. Definitely. And it reflects later when her relationship with Jasper and Horace is impacted. Exactly. And I, I really like how they kind of crafted Cruella as someone... Like, it wasn't just, oh, I have this evil side to me. It's It, like, completely takes over her life. And I think that's why she becomes so effective as a character and why that idea of Cruella versus Estella, they're just completely different people. And Emma Stone did such an amazing job really creating distinct personalities for the two of them. So it's like you're watching two different people entirely. I completely agree. So we go into the party and, of course, she's in disguise. So at first she's in this black and white, almost like a hooded outfit. But it wouldn't be Cruella without a grand reveal. And mm -hmm. this is one of my favorites where she actually goes to someone and she says, do you have a light for her <laughs> iconic cigarette? Which I don't know if you noticed, they don't actually include her iconic cigarette because Disney banned smoking in their films, I think, in like 2007. Oh, really? 
Yeah, so they banned all depictions of smoking in their films, so that's why it was no longer in this depiction. Oh, so that's like a subtle nod to it. Of course. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure if it's like a subtle nod that they intended or it was just a coincidence, but I think it was a subtle nod. I feel like everything Disney does is incredibly intentional. <laughs> Maybe that was just their way of saying she still does have this habit, but we're not going to show it. Yeah, because there's a lot of, like, fire themes in here we'll get to later. Oh, my God. This is almost like a foreshadow, in a sense, where she kind of lights herself on fire there. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, I didn't think about it like that. Yeah. Ooh, cool. But right before this whole thing, what I really like is that they kind of give us this slow reveal of Cruella because we don't see her until she asks for the light. We see, like, the back of her in the hood, and we see, like, the shot of the hair a little bit but we don't see her fully until like you said she asked for that light and then she drops the match and then her entire gown like goes up in flames and reveals actually a vintage baroness look yeah and it's a red dress but it's a black and white ball so that's super taboo she she's trying to make a show so that she can distract the baroness but oh my god it's so cool and i really like later when the baroness says like oh i like your dress what and she's like oh it's actually one of yours there's no wonder i loved it and then krilla says but i fixed it and she redesigned it because we had seen this with what's his name the vintage shop owner Artie. Artie, yeah because he had this vintage baroness dress in the window and we had seen it earlier like a glimpse of it which is cool because then we get to see the redesign and again like you mentioned this is all just a plot to kind of steal attention so they can get away with the heist because while all of this is going on horace and jasper are actually causing a diversion as well and it results in jasper releasing rats into the party and when the baroness notices of course it's very distracting and she kind of is like oh my goodness and looking away so cruella just snatches the necklace right off of her mm -hmm, because they did this whole heist and like it's supposed to be in the safe and it was actually on the baroness's neck so the whole thing was really for nothing and during all of this fiasco the baroness calling order pulls out a whistle and starts to blow which causes the dalmatians to jump into action and this is the moment where cruella has that realization that the baroness was the woman who called the dalmatians on her mother that fateful night can we talk about that beautiful flashback slow motion moment because it was just so good like that flashbacks can get cheesy super quick but i think that was so well placed one of my favorite things about that particular moment in the film is if you listen to the score in the beginning like in the initial scene where we see it happen, you can hear the whistle, but it's very faintly in the background. Oh, interesting. I because don't, it, yeah, I don't think I It's not like that. a reveal at that point, so they like lowered it down to be a faint in the background noise. Oh, see, that's where we go with Disney being intentional. <laughs> but right after we get the scene, I, I love because they use voiceover kind of as a technique to tell the story from where it ends throughout the entirety of the story. Like it starts on... It starts on that necklace is the reason I'm dead. So, you know, we know exactly where we're going and we know the necklace is important from day one because we have this voiceover of an older Cruella at the end of all of this. What I really like after the scene is we get that voiceover and she says, you know, there are five stages. They say there are five stages of grief. Well, I'd like to add one more revenge. So she's like fully Cruella now. And in the fiasco of getting away, the necklace is actually swallowed by one of the Dalmatians, which leads to <laughs> Cruella telling Horace and Jasper to capture them and wait for it to come out the other end. <laughs> but this is where we first see her kind of 
again, she since she's fully Cruella and we've like lost Estella at this point, she's really being super rude to Horace and Jasper. And they're not they like definitely take notice and they're like, you can't boss us around like that, Cruella. Like you're you're not that person. But I think that with those moments, because I know one of the things that's been talked about a lot with this is that this Cruella is different than the original Cruella. And how, oh, how could she have, like, skinned these dogs to, like, make this coat? She's not that person in this movie. But I think we get that cruelness in moments like that instead. Like, we don't need to have explicit animal cruelty in this film to make it work. But you can show it where she's rude to her friends, you know? And I think they even try and have that moment of correction where she wears spots and the Baroness is like, she killed she and my turned dog. my animals yeah. into a coat. And then later, they're like, you didn't actually. And she says, I didn't. Right. And so they acknowledge that at, at least because that's another big part of it is that she's supposed to like kill these dogs. And that's why they're so scared of her in the first place. I don't really remember the movie that well, but I do remember that much. And so at least acknowledging that, but kind of twisting it into something else where it's maybe a little more palatable to be a plot of a film because <laughs> i don't think we want to watch a movie about a woman running around killing a bunch of dogs definitely and it's also in this moment that cruella starts to make a bit of a name for herself because she partners up with a childhood friend of hers anita darling and yeah. anita works at this newspaper called the tattletale she essentially cruella finds her useful because she thinks that you know you can print gossip so make sure that you're causing this large scene and i'm seen by everyone because i'm making a statement and i love how they do this because we have kind of a montage moment again you're getting her going to all these events but throughout this you see this cool overlay of newspaper writing and anita writing and like typing on the typewriter and the overlay of the newspaper is going right over cruella's face and it's kind of just tying in the story of how important the tabloids are in what Cruella is doing in the moment so you don't need to have like back and forth between oh we're now writing the story and this is what Cruella is doing and we have it all tied into one moment and I think it's a beautiful example of montage where you can just overlay that and it creates a really visually stunning piece and it's getting that montage of Cruella essentially just upstaging the Baroness because her revenge on the Baroness is that she wants to overtake her as the most powerful icon in the fashion industry can we talk about that moment where they trap the Baroness in the car and Cruella stands on top and her gown just drape the her red gown just drapes right over top of it it was a power move I think my favorite of all the outfits was the garbage truck outfit the garbage truck was so cool and the train was like dozens of feet long. This sequence is what they won best costume design for, hands down. Most definitely. So obviously this gets the attention of the Baroness because Cruella keeps crashing all of her events and she's trying to get to the bottom of this. She, want, she wants to know who Cruella is and why she's targeting her. So she hires her lawyer, Roger, who can't actually find any information. And if you recognize the name Anita and Roger... They're Pongo and Purdy's owners from the original 101 Dalmatians. So again, oh. we're all in that same realm. But I was actually reading an article that kind of, I didn't think about this and didn't even realize it when I was watching it, but it explains Roger's motivation and kind of hatred towards Cruella because the Baroness hires him to essentially track her down and figure out who she is and he can't do it. So she fires him. And that leaves him jobless, and then he turns to writing songs, which is where you get the opening scene of 101 Dalmatians, where he's writing the song Cruella de Vil on the piano, because 
After all these years, he he blames her for losing his job. That's so cool because that's, I mean, skipping ahead a bunch, but like that's where the end of this movie is. Yeah, the post-credit scene. Wow, that's so cool. Like I said, I haven't seen that movie in forever and I totally forgot that he writes songs. <laughs> and I didn't even think about it like that because I was wondering, I didn't even put two and two together, but when I saw Roger at the end, I was like, I recognize you, but I don't know where from. And then on my second watch was when I was like, wait, you're the lawyer. Interesting. Okay, I kind of redact my statement earlier. I might watch the second movie of this i think they set it up well i don't know if i'll see the second one when when we get to ratings i'll tell you my feelings towards this movie okay fair enough so moving on we we get the scene of cruella designing on her own time outside in an alley which is technically not part of the baroness's studio but according to her it is and she owns that alley and the baroness steals her design because she needs a signature piece and she said this is perfect for my signature piece and so this this was a little prior I believe. But this special signature piece, they're waiting on these custom beads to be imported so that Cruella can add them to the dress. And she puts them on and it's phenomenal. It's a gorgeous dress. And it really is. And of course, everyone breaks out into applause. They're like, this is genius. This is beautiful. But then the Baroness steps forward and she says, I've done it again. And mm -hmm. Estella's kind of like, what do you mean? And she's just like, I've done this. This is my piece. Right. And you see her throughout this like, give really no input like she's not a mentor or anything she just kind of hires these people to do all of the work for her and then take credit but she does invite estella out to get a drink with her and i think this scene is really important for the baroness's character because you see how she kind of views the world and one of the things she says to estella is everyone else is an obstacle you care about an obstacle you're dead and so she really sees everyone around her as kind of like moving pieces to this land and this product that she's putting out and nothing really matters to her feelings people they don't matter but she's almost telling estella like you could be as great as me you just need to not care about people and estella during this is still upset that the baroness is now taking credit for all of her hard work so she's kind of sitting there you can see it in her eyes very frustrated and very passive aggressive with her and that leads to another plot in her cruella revenge where instead of beads she puts moth eggs on the dress and leading up to fashion week they put all of the costumes into this like locked sealed vault and it cuts to the opening day of the fashion show and they can't open the vault and they're pounding on it and they're just like what are we gonna do and the Baroness is like, you are going to open it. And I think they end up having to like blow torch it open or something. But once they get it open, it opens up and all of the outfits have just been destroyed because Ruined. all the moth eggs opened up and all the moths ate all of the fabrics. Yeah, that's it's a really cool like plot device that they use there. The way that they wrote that was really nice. The Baroness has figured out at this point that Estella is Cruella. And so she's... She's ready to arrest her as soon as she shows up to the fashion show, but obviously she doesn't. We see Cruella on a stage across the street from the fashion show as everybody's running out and they're like fleeing and Cruella's in her famous Dalmatian coat. It's a little different than like what is traditionally the Cruella coat, but it is the Dalmatian print coat. And that's where you were saying earlier that, oh, she killed my dogs and made a coat. And she obviously didn't, but it's a, this is a sick scene yeah and around her she has all of these incredible designs that she's been working on as cruella so this is kind of like cruella opening up her own fashion empire and it's like a very public threat against the baroness yeah it's really cool and it's it's almost like a concert like a rock concert 
Anyway, the cops show up and it kind of gets shut down. But in this chaotic scene, Cruella escapes, but Jasper and Horace get, I want to just say kidnapped. I mean, that yeah, it is kidnapping. <laughs> they get kidnapped, but they get brought back to their, I'm just going to call it their house because I don't think we mentioned this, but they kind of just stay in an old abandoned house that they don't like. Their hideout. Yeah, 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 it's a hideout. And so they get taken back to the hideout and tied up, and the Baroness is there with a lighter, and she's about to frame them for Cruella's murder. Well, I mean, Cruella enters. There's a whole reveal leading up to it. So they get kidnapped at the fashion show, and Cruella returns to the apartment thinking that she's, like, in the clear, and she's singing and celebrating. Mm -hmm. And as the elevator door opens, she sees Horace and Jasper tied up. Yeah, it's it's a really cool reveal. And one of the things, oh, this this line, it, like, really justifies her, like, the evil villain character of the Baroness versus the evil villain character of Cruella. Because she says, I, Cruella says, I know you killed my mother. And the Baroness just says, you're going to have to be more specific. So, like, how how intensely does she look at people as objects that she literally eliminates anything in her path? I mean, she's very powerful. And it's she just is, been, like, but, shown throughout ooh. this whole movie that she just has to snap her fingers and anyone will do whatever she asks. Yeah. Rough. <laughs> so she intends to burn down the building with Estella and Horace and Jasper Horace and Jasper taken away into prison and then Estella in the building. And essentially she's going to frame. So it looks like Horace and Jasper are the ones that set it up. And this is that scene that I was talking about earlier where it kind of feels like foreshadowing when she lights herself on fire. Because in this moment she's engulfed in flames and you see legs. (laughs) Like what are are those called? Legs (laughs) coming through the smoke and the fire. And it looks like somebody's going to try and save her here. Which, you know, ends up being true. But everyone's reporting Cruella's death at this point. They say Cruella's been, you know, killed in, in a warehouse fire. That's where they stay, a warehouse. And then we open up and Cruella essentially just got knocked out by the smoke from all the flames. But we wake up and Cruella was, I guess, asleep for a couple of days and she wakes up on a couch. And it's John's couch and John is the Baroness's valet. So she's very confused. And if you... Go back to the beginning where we were running through the party. John is also the guy who was looking at Estella and trying to stop her during her childhood comeuppance. Right. And he... So, okay. Unfortunately, I feel like this is the slowest part of the movie for me. And I don't know if it's anything about the way that it's shot or if it... You know, you build up this momentum up to this fire and then it kind of just drops. I do think this is an important part of the film. Don't get me wrong. I just don't know if there's a better way to have kind of explained it or expressed it because it it does kind of slow the plot down for me. What do you think about it? I mean, it's the plot twist. They have to explain the plot twist because the twist is that in this moment, John explains to Cruella that she is the Baroness's daughter. And Mm -hmm. essentially what it was, was the Baroness was disgusted by her pregnancy and she didn't want the baby. So she told someone, she just said, get rid of them. And she told John to get rid of him. Yeah, and again, that plays into her just having to snap her fingers and anyone will do what she asks. She asks John to get rid of her, and John, not wanting to obviously kill an infant, gives it off to Catherine. And Catherine was a maid at the estate. We'll call it an estate. And Catherine, of course, raises Estella in secrecy. So coming back, she essentially was asking the Baroness for money. She said, I have your daughter and we need money. Or I'm going to tell everyone that she's your daughter. So that's why the Baroness killed Catherine all those years ago. And it's this big reveal. So I don't necessarily think that it needed to move at a faster pace. Because it was Mm -hmm. all necessary, but 
I understand why you would say that. I think this whole movie in general is a little bit too long. It's almost two and a half hours, and that was way too long. I think it's too long in general, but this is, I feel like this is one of those moments that I felt it just because that fire felt like an ending, I think. It was almost like a false ending. Because at the beginning of the movie, they, we know that Kirill is dead. From the necklace, though. We don't know how the Baroness plays into the necklace. Right. I mean, but what I'm saying with the fire is that the movie opens on the line, that necklace is the reason I'm dead. And, you know, we're assuming she dies. So we have this fire. And then it's, it, like I said, a false ending. Anyway, I, I totally get the need for this whole scene. It just feels a little slow. This whole, I, I'm going to call it like the third act part where everything kind of finds its conclusion but anyway through this he gives her the necklace back she finds the there's a lock in it he tells her and that's where she finds her birth certificate flashback to the baroness story like we said we already covered all that and then she rides her motorcycle away as the sun rises and goes to the fountain which kind of becomes i want to call it almost like a grave site for her mother they planned on going to this fountain together once they got to london and they never made it there so she goes there to like talk to her mom yeah i think she goes there to make peace and she has a moment with her mom and she's like it's a very odd day and a lot's come to light and it's really a heartfelt moment because she says even though you weren't my real mother you were my mother and that's Mm -hmm. essentially the takeaway from the scene is that she's making peace with it because she doesn't want the baroness to be her mother right honestly this monologue that emma stone delivers chef's kiss it was so good (laughs) I mean, it's Emma Stone. You can't expect anything less. I know. she that, that moment, though, she was just, like, phenomenal. And is that the line? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We get that close-up on her face where she goes, I'm Cruella. <laughs> so then she kind of, again, makes peace with the situation and decides that she needs to go and break Horace and Jasper out of jail because, again, they're rotting away for her death even though she's not dead. So she puts up this whole disguise as a garbage man and busts into the jail quite literally she just keeps ramming it with her garbage <laughs> truck and horace and jasper are looking around and they're like huh and they break out but the cops are chasing cruella so she pulls up of course she's a great getaway car driver and she offers them a ride which they're hesitant at first they're kind of just like you know you betrayed us you betrayed, betrayed us, us like yeah. crap and we don't want to work for you anymore but you get a moment where she apologizes to them and she essentially treats them as equals which I felt was refreshing because in all the other depictions of 101 Dalmatians, she's definitely not close to Horace and Jasper. She views them as her goons and nothing more. And they probably are because I think you can, you know, there's so much larger than life aspects to animation and you kind of have to have stereotypes when you're doing those kind of things. And so in the original, it makes more sense, I think. But because we have such characterization from the two of them, Throughout the entirety of this film, I totally get how it ended up in this place. And I I do agree with you. I think it's really wonderful. Definitely. So they come up with this huge plan to essentially get their final revenge on the Baroness. And Cruella essentially sabotages the Baroness's party by sending all the guests these invitations and saying, in memory of Cruella, wear this outfit. And the outfit is a black wardrobe, like completely black, but with a hairpiece that's Cruella's hair it's white and black so she's setting up a disguise because Cruella is going to crash just as Cruella does and Mm -hmm. essentially be hiding from all the security because everyone's going to look like her right and I think this like uh, another montage 
is the part we could have cut down some time in. It was like this this montage scene was a little bit too long. But we end up in the Baroness's party. And Cruella's like already in the house by the time they're attacking people outside. And they, they tackle like everyone that comes in because they think they're all Cruella. And, you know, we, we get the shenanigans going on. Like Horace traps all of the security inside of a room. And they're kind of like taking over this party and the Baroness is horrified like as all of this is going on. And she's searching for Cruella and obviously she can't find her because she's in this sea of other Cruellas. And I really like it because Cruella is actually stalking her through the crowd. She's like grabbing Mm -hmm. all these people and she's like aggressively yanking on them to see if they're Cruella. But Cruella's right behind her and in an attempt to steal the dog whistle, she actually takes a hairpin out and pricks the back of the Baroness's neck, which goes, um, there's a lyric from the song, I don't know the exact one off the top of my head, but there's like something how she like sends a shiver down her spine. So right as Cruella does that prick, the Baroness does a little shiver and she just goes, she's here, I can feel it. Smart. Look at Disney. I If there's one thing they're good at, it's like putting those little touches on things. So the overall end game of this plan is essentially Cruella wants to frame the Baroness, but it's not really framing because it's really more so justice. She goes out and leads the Baroness out onto the terrace. But in this moment, she's put on her red hair wig and she's back to the Estella persona that she has. And the Baroness comes out and Estella's like, I know who you are. You killed my mother. And the Baroness is like, oh, of course. Like, what are you going to do now? They have this huge standoff, but eventually the Baroness kind of tries to flip it and make Estella think that she is like, oh, please, I'm so sorry. I love you so much. Like, I I regret not raising you and give me that chance now. But of course, Estella is one step ahead of her. (laughs) So she outsmarts the Baroness. The Baroness ends up pushing her off the cliff just like she did her mother. But Estella built in a parachute to her outfit. So she parachutes down safely i i love that because i thought it was such a clever way to do that because you're incorporating fashion you're incorporating escape but it's also something i don't think i expected because you know again going back to the opening line we're waiting for cruella to die because she told us blatantly at the beginning you know this is the story of how i died pretty much but it's it's a really cool way that they did that and obviously cruella lives Estella dies and she has her like gravesite put up and, and you know Horace is having his moment he's like it's sad isn't it and he's like Jasper's like she's not dead she's right there <laughs> but another thing we forgot to mention is that part of the plan was Horace Jasper John and Artie were all going around inside the party and they were like the Baroness has invited you out onto the terrace so oh, all yeah. the party guests saw all this happen and the Baroness ends up getting taken away and arrested because all those witnesses but as the Baroness is going away Cruella drives up in her iconic car And she reveals that Estella, who was rightfully left all of this property, this estate, died, but in her will, left it to Cruella. I love it. It's really a nice ending to the film, I think. I think it wraps up really well. But can we talk really quick before we wrap up with the plot about something I think isn't appreciated enough, which is the ending credit sequence sometimes? Like, every now and then, 
you get that really solid ending credit sequence and i think this one nailed it like the visuals yeah like the animation that goes along with it and it like the way that the runway turns into cruella's name it's really neat yeah i i didn't really think about it i guess i've never really thought about it i enjoy credit animation i usually watch it if they have it but yeah i liked this one yeah it was really cool i remember sitting in the theater and being like wow that's like that's a total i mean obviously it's an art in itself but it like was really obvious in that moment is the word i'm looking for where you know this is ah this is so cool and it's such a cool way to end the movie and wrap it up with the theme that it was following and we also get a mid-credit scene which we talked about earlier where two dalmatian puppies Pongo and Perdita, who it's implied, get left on these doorsteps and you have Anita open up on one side of the frame and Roger open up on the other side of the frame. And it's just a letter that says, oh, this is for helping me out, Cruella. Then they just are left smiling. But Roger goes up and he starts playing the piano, writing the Cruella DeVille song. And it's just a nice nod to the 101 Dalmatians. So what do you think about this movie as a whole? As a whole, I honestly apparently am in the unpopular opinion. Every person I've talked to loves this movie. They love it more than Maleficent, which I don't think I can say the same in terms of those Disney villain origin stories. I really enjoyed Maleficent in comparison. The one thing I did like about Cruella, which is what it was praised for, was its costumes. And I think that the costumes almost had a character embodiment. If a character wasn't wearing them, they kind of spoke for themselves. Even the costumes on the mannequins yeah. were very bold and bright. Yeah, I completely agree with you. The costume design was fantastic. But as a movie, I don't really think a lot of children would be as engrossed with this Per se, I think, again, you look at this juggernaut of a runtime, it's two hours and 15 minutes. And I mean, you take a kid to a Disney movie that's an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes, and they're already antsy by the end. So I don't think that this movie is really good enough in terms of pacing or story to keep a kid engrossed. But from an adult perspective, I think that a lot more adults would find an appreciation in this movie. Scale of one to 10, I'm going to give it a six. <gasps> okay. <laughs> I'm pretty comfortable with that. Like, I don't really think that it would go above that for me. It kind of just dragged and was overly long. Ooh. Again, I wouldn't really revisit this. I'm sorry. Yikes. That's How about you? What, what are your thoughts? Let's get some so, more positivity. So, <laughs> so I would argue that this is like not necessarily a children's movie. I know like in the we, we edited this out but we looked it up it's a pg-13 movie so it's not geared towards the same audience that 101 dalmatians the animated film was geared towards and i think disney's kind of experimenting with that different genre of okay you grew up with this animated film now let's make it for an older audience so that you can kind of delve into the darker themes of what this was trying to embody and i think they did a really good job at personifying cruella in giving her this really rich backstory that made a lot of sense. And I love the fashion aspect that they like incorporated into it and made her like a designer. And this was something that she loved and it's how wronged she was and how she kind of became this seen as a villain. I don't necessarily agree that she is a villain at the very end of this, but how be she becomes seen as a villain to outside perspectives that don't know her story. So I don't know. I think, again, I had some pacing issues towards the end of the film However, I think as a whole, it was a visually stunning. It was amazing to see in theaters. Like this was really cool to see on the big screen. And obviously, like we said, the costumes were phenomenal. It won an Academy Award, which is incredible for, I think, a movie like this, which I wouldn't have expected to be nominated. But and 
obviously Emma Stone delivers an incredible performance. So I'm going to give it an eight. Interesting. See, I really can't give it something like that. I mean, I feel like we just, the movies you love, I don't love. And then the movies I love, you <laughs> don't love. I feel like that's how it's been. Well, that's going to bring us right into the closing of this until we tell you what our next episode is going to be. Right. So with that, if you guys enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and give us a follow at BTST Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. And if you enjoyed today's discussion and want to tell us what you thought about Cruella, or if you have any upcoming film suggestions you want to hear us cover, go ahead and email us at btstpodcast at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe if you enjoyed today's episode and make sure to join us next time where we are covering a film that both of us love and cherish and is close to our hearts, Top Gun. I cannot wait and I look forward to it. I've been looking forward to it since we started this podcast. (laughs) But until then, I'm Sean. And I'm Kat. And this has been another episode of Been There, Seen That. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 